we exist to come alongside people who are hurting, who are broken, who are messed up, to come alongside them and give them love and to give them grace and to give them encouragement until they can rise above it and walk on that path on their own. We are Pathway Church, located in Burleson, Texas. We worship together, we serve together, and we grow together. Good morning, everybody. So glad you were here, especially if you're new or you are back after being gone for a long time. It's so good to see you. I want to welcome you here, those that are online. Uh, again, I want to kind of reiterate what Jeff said. Man, our hearts just go out to all of our family and friends who live up there in that quarter that got just struck by the tornado, all that devastation. And uh, we hope that just besides prayer that we're going to be able to participate in, along with you in this recovery. And just want to let you know we love you and we're, we're thinking about you. Uh, I want to make sure everybody knows the schedule because things were changed. You know, Christmas, Jesus showing up was a great interruption. Would you agree? When Jesus showed up, it interrupted everything. And when Christmas shows up, would some of you agree it kind of interrupts everything? I mean, it's kind of, everything kind of gets in disarray. And that's true in the church as well. Uh, we're so used to our weekly schedule and what happens in here. But I want you to know that next weekend, things are going to be interrupted. Instead of our regular worship times and regular worship experience, next weekend we call our family Christmas. And this means everybody, but our children are going to lead us in worship next weekend. And so instead of our regular worship times, we're not even going to have Saturday night worship because they're going to be rehearsing in here. And 8 o'clock, we're not having traditional worship at that time. But 9 and 11 next week, I know it throws everybody in, in, in a mess. 9 and 11 in this space, you won't want to miss it. Uh, our kids, men, they just do a fabulous job. You want to get here early, it's going to be packed. It's going to be fun. It's going to be energetic. It's going to be awesome stuff out there in the crossing. And then the following weekend, you'll know that's actually Christmas weekend because Christmas Day falls on a Saturday. And we have Christmas Eve services on Friday night at 3, 5, and 7 on the 24th. And on the 23rd, the night before, we're having a traditional service at 6 o'clock in the sanctuary. So here's what that means. On Sunday the 26th, we're asking you go home for Christmas. Literally, you be in your home for Christmas. Don't come here because we're not going to be here. We're going to deliver worship to you into your homes, though, okay, on December 26th. So you can stream it at regular time at 930. And uh, kind of watch, you're going to encourage you to stay in your PJs and kind of huddle up and kind of breathe for a moment. But we will have worship. Then the following weekend, January 1st and January 2nd, we're all back in the swing of things. We're right back in here doing our regular thing as normal. And let you know the first message series of the year uh, is going to be, we're going to look at the five love languages and how biblically, how those impact and how we can practice those love languages in our family and all kind of strengthen some of our relationships that mean a lot to us. So that's kind of where we're going. That's kind of where we're headed. But before we open the word here for Come Home for Christmas, could we please again go to our God in prayer? All right, God, here we are again. We're your sons and your daughters. Uh, we're in the house. We're online. We're down there at the bridge, and we assemble here, God, together through this miraculous thing called technology and this beautiful space you have provided uh, to, to hear a word from you. And God, I, I hope that uh, you don't mind that before we open this Bible, we just, we just pause and, again, acknowledge that we need you to speak. I hope I hope you don't get weary of hearing from us, God, because we need you. We got some families here, God, who really need you to speak. Uh, they're needing some help. They're needing some guidance. Uh, we all do, God, but some really need it. 
And so we're asking God for you to kind of unleash your Holy Spirit here in the next few minutes. And just equip us and prepare us for what is to come in the next two weeks and beyond. In Jesus' name, amen. We are talking about this thing called come home for Christmas. And just that phrase, come home for Christmas, it can kind of create a lot of different emotions. One is longing, kind of a sentimentality, kind of a dreaming of the way that we want our life to be and family to be. Then there's also the reality that sometimes that come home for Christmas brings up a little anxiety. It brings up a little fear, a little bit of, oh, how are things going to go this year when we all get together? And so I want to talk about this morning, how do we prepare to love people who are kind of difficult? Because we know when we come home for Christmas, there'll be some people there that are a little irritating. There'll be some people there that are a little annoying. There'll be some people there who kind of get under our skin. And so how, how, how do we love those people? How, you know, we're called to love difficult people all the time. But in the holiday season, sometimes all the emotions kind of flare up. It can be really challenging to love difficult people. So what I'm going to do this morning, I'm going to, get, I'm going to give you three gifts here in a little while uh, that we can kind of get to, maybe give all of our family members and friends who show up at our house or we show up at their house for, for Christmas. But before we get there, I want to make sure that everybody kind of knows where you stand because there may be some people here who don't need this message. You just don't need it. So I'm going to kind of let you know who this message is for. And so on the, on the front end, so just in case there's anybody that thinks they want to go ahead and leave, you know, or kind of click off, you can do that. So, so I want to let you know, here, here, here is who this message is for. Uh, this, this message is not for. This message is not for anybody who's going to go home for Christmas and there'll be no difficult people there at the table or around the Christmas tree. This message would not be for you. If everybody in your family is emotionally intelligent and relationally mature, uh, this message is not for you. If everybody who comes to your table are going to have no ongoing conflict that's not been resolved, uh, if nobody's going to be overly sarcastic, they're not going to speak with barbed words, little hidden messages in between. If there's nobody that talks too much, drinks too much, smokes too much, uh, brags too much, opinionated too much, gripes too much, if all the kids, if, if there are no crying babies, uh, if, if there's no children squalling, if there's no boring teenagers or, or anything like that, uh, if all the kids feel emotionally important and favored and loved and valued by all their kids, if the parents, they have no, nothing but joy for their whole family. I mean, they're not upset about any bad choices anybody's making. Uh, they're not griping. No, no concern about any direction any of their kids are going with their life. Uh, if there are, is everybody there? There's, there's nobody that has alcohol issues, addiction issues, job problems. There's no insults that's going to be there. Uh, if, if there's no difficult people who's going to show up at your house or you at their house for Christmas, this message is not for you. In fact, this church may not be for you. Uh, I'll just tell you, because this church is just a bunch of imperfect people who come from imperfect families. And we're just trying to figure out what it means to follow Jesus. And we've discovered that when you allow Jesus to get right in the middle of everything, it kind of helps things. We kind of grow and figure some things out when you figure out to do that. So this message is for anybody who kind of got to a time in your life where you as somebody in your family would disappear. Okay? And so for those who have not left or, or checked out, uh, we're going to show you a little movie clip that kind of helps kind of encapsulate this for me about the varied emotions that we feel this time of year. 
And it's about, it's from Home Alone. It's a lo- Some of you may not love this movie. I love this movie. And it's about a little kid named Kevin who kind of at one point kind of wishes his family would disappear, right? And he kind of wakes up and they're gone and all the, anyway, just kind of check this out. I made my family disappear. Kevin, you're completely helpless. No, Kevin, you're what the French call les incompetents. Kevin, I'm going to feed you to my tarantula. Kevin, you are such a disease. There are 15 people in this house, and you're the only one who has to make trouble. Look what you did, you little jerk. I made my family disappear. So this best is for anybody who at any time has somebody in their family, you just kind of wish they would disappear. You know, you're thankful for that. They call it murder. <laughs> I don't recommend it. Neither does the Bible. In fact, the Bible says you don't even have to kill someone. You can just kind of think it. You just kind of want to do it and kind of think, man, it'd be great if they were gone. And the Bible would say, they're not the problem. Jesus would say, my heart's the problem. They're not the, I, I, I'm the problem. So we're going to talk about three gifts. I'm going to get to it here in a little bit. Three gifts that you can give these people to your life for the, on this, this Christmas that maybe might kind of help them begin to change. And you giving them these gifts could help them change. But before we go there and get to those gifts, uh, I want us to talk about the Christmas story. I want to look through the lens of the difficult people that show up in the story of Jesus being born. You know, sometimes you and I look at the manger story, and we just think, oh, all this calm, all this bright, sweet little thing like that. And I'm here to tell you, that's not really the way it was. At the birth of Jesus and his arrival into the earth, he arrived in the earth in some very difficult, challenging circumstances, just not the kind of people that are going to show up at your house or you're going to show up at their house for Christmas. And here's the first group of people in the story, and I think at your house, there's going to be disappointed people. There's going to be disappointed people that show up at your, at your home that are going to say like, you know what, I wish my life hadn't turned out this way. I was wanting more for my life. And they're going to walk into the house on Christmas, and there's going to have this heaviness about them. And they're going to be so heavy, and it's just going to infect the whole, it's going to bring the whole family down. There was a person like that, a couple like that, in the story of Jesus. We meet them in Luke chapter 1 as Zechariah and Elizabeth. Uh, They're senior in age. They've been faithful in serving God. They're kind of late in life. But they really love God and everything they can, except they've had this little disappointment. They never had any kids. They were infertile. Now, anybody in this room who's ever experienced infertility or watching online, you know the pain of infertility. And the pain of infertility can be even greater around the holiday season. You feel the void and the emptiness and the yearning even more. And in the ancient world, if you were infertile, if you were barren, There was a stigma attached to it because it was considered that you had done something wrong, that you had displeased God, or you did not have enough faith. And not only that, it was also assumed in the ancient world that it was the woman's fault. 
that there was something wrong with the woman, and that is why there, is no, there were no children. There's this ancient story about this Agriatic king who had seven wives, and neither, not a single one of those wives were able to give him any kids. And it was believed that the women were the problem. They were the ones who were the problem because he was the guy and he was the king. He couldn't be the problem. So Zechariah and Elizabeth, they can't have any kids. And then late in life, an angel shows up. And the angel says to Zechariah in Luke chapter 1, hey, you're going to have a baby. You're finally going to have a kid. And they're old. They're very old. And you would think he would say, well, thank you, God. This is so exciting. But he doesn't respond that way. It's a little complex. In fact, here's how he responds in verse 18 of chapter 1, Luke 1. How can I be sure of this? I mean, I'm an old man now, and my wife, well, she's well along in years. I mean, they've been carrying this disappointment for so long. How can this be true? And so the angel identifies himself. Then they say in verse 20 to, to, to Zechariah, and now, Zechariah, you're going to be silent. You're not going to be able to speak until this, this day happens because you didn't believe me. You didn't believe He's a priest in the temple. Now, we don't know exactly what goes on here, but I can kind of picture this, this thing of Elizabeth. You know, all this time who thought that she was responsible, she was the, the problem why they weren't having kids. And so Zechariah now can't speak. And she goes, Zechariah, don't you realize we're not having kids and you can't talk because you didn't have enough faith? I mean, my gosh, man, you're the priest. You go to the temple every day and you didn't believe the angel? I wasn't the problem. You're the problem. And now Zechariah, he's got to come home every day. He can't talk for nine months. He can't talk. And she's going to ask him every day, like, hey, honey, how was work? And he can't talk. He, there's no way ESPN. He just can't go lock in on ESPN. He's got to sit there and listen to her, ask him questions all day long, and he can't say a word. <laughs> Can you imagine the tension in that household? That's never happened in any of your houses, right? Yeah. So the first couple is this, this disappointed couple. Here's another character in the story is someone who was stressed. You're going to have stressed people who come to your table at this Christmas. And I want to tell you in the Bible, two of the most stressed people who show up in the Christmas story, and the two, probably in the history of the world, they've never been so stressed, and that is the couple called Mary and Joseph. Sometime you and I had this idea again of, of the little manger scene of all is calm and all is bright, away in a manger, sweet little moment. I don't think so. Mary is 12, 13, 14. We don't know exactly the age, and she kind of... She, she kind of has this experience of, of, of getting pregnant. And uh, Joseph here, you know, first, he didn't know about him. In Matthew chapter 1, you know, an, an angel shows up to Joseph and speaks to him. And says, hey, uh, Joseph, as the Scripture says in Matthew, the Scripture says, because Joseph, her husband, but Joseph, Mary was pledged to be married to Joseph, but before they came together, before they came together sexually, she was found to be pregnant through the Holy Spirit. And because Joseph, her husband, was faithful to the law, he did not want to expose her to public disgrace, so he had it in mind to divorce her quietly. So, okay, so I can imagine how this conversation happens. So, first of all, let me, let me ask you, who discovered first that Mary was pregnant? Who knew first that Mary was pregnant, Mary or Joseph? This is not a trick question, okay? I just want you to know that. I, I thought you were biologically informed, okay, who knows how this happens. If you don't, just, just talk to somebody who is, is that Mary would have known. It's her body. She would have known first that she was pregnant. And so she would have gone to Joseph and said, hey, Joseph, you need to know something. I'm pregnant. And Joseph's going, hold it. It's not me. It's not mine. There's no way it could be mine. 
And I can imagine going, you know what, uh, this is not going to work. I, I just can't, can't handle this. And the scripture says that he has in mind to divorce her quietly. So I can imagine Joseph going to Mary and saying, hey, Mary, uh, i got to ask you a question. Are you going to stick with the story that it was an angel? Are you going to stick with that? Or are you just going to come and tell me the truth? And she, Mary goes, ah, that's the truth. And he goes, well, I guess I'm going to have to divorce you quietly. I'm just, I'm just, I'm going to be faithful. I'm going to, this is not going to happen. Can you imagine how Mary felt? Can you imagine how Mary, I mean, she knows, she knows the truth and he doesn't believe her. And so now she got to, but then later on, the angel does show up to Joseph. Hey, Joseph, I want you to know she is pregnant and it is the Holy Spirit. It's going to be the son of God. And I want you to do this. So now Joseph's got to go back to Mary. Can you imagine that? He's got to go back to him. No, Mary, I'll give us some second thoughts. And let's go ahead and get married. Let's go ahead and do this thing. Uh, let's go ahead and do this thing together and everything like that. And, I, and I, I don't know how this works in your household. I know how it works in my household. You know, if, if I believe a stranger, even if it is an angel, before I believe my wife, it didn't go very well. Can you imagine? Oh, yeah, okay, now, now, now you're coming along. You didn't believe me. So you can imagine, you know, all the pressure, you know, all the stress that they're feeling, you know, in their house and their relationship. And not only that, the Scripture says they come from this region of Galilee. Now, here's what you need to know about Galilee. Galilee was a very rural area. And they were very strict about sexual promiscuity. So we got this scandal going around that Joseph is not the dad. And they're very, very strict. Uh, the way I can put this, they did this survey in the United States of America of states that were the most conservative and restrictive on sexual practices and what's okay, and that were very, very loose. Which one do you think were the most permissive? What state do you think is the most permissive? Everybody said California every service. And that's what I thought too. But it's not. It's Mississippi. Who would have thought? They said Mississippi, according to this research. Who would have thought that? But the most conservative, most narrow, understand, was West Virginia. Galilee is more like West Virginia. Scandal. Can't believe it. This girl's pregnant. Not from Joseph. They're getting married. Unbelievable. So they got this scandal. Not only that, the person they have going on, it's tax season. Anybody know how you feel when tax season comes along? You start going, uh, 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 God, this money, you know. And so now, and they're poor. They're impoverished. When they say they go to the temple, all they have these two little turtle doves they can give. So now they got financial stress, all this. And then, not only that, they have to go to Bethlehem to pay the tax. Now, the scholars will tell you, they're not certain that legally Mary was obligated to make the trip to Bethlehem. That she might have gone just because Mary, Joseph said, you're going with me. So, ladies, can you can picture this lady? You're almost pregnant. And even in this day, getting in the car, in and out, you know how uncomfortable it can be when you're almost due. And so here she's almost due, and she's riding this darn donkey across this mile. You can imagine how uncomfortable she is. And then when they get there, the innkeeper says, there's what? There's what? There's no, there's, there's no what? No room. Now, I can imagine you know, Mary kind of going, okay, Joseph, I know you're not a planner. I know you're not. I know that. This is not the way you're wired. But you know I'm pregnant. You know I couldn't, could, no Motel 6. I mean, no Airbnb. You couldn't have called family to make room. I mean, really, 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 Joseph, there's no place. So are you getting a picture? So you and I think it's just kind of this little rosy posy, putting in pie, little cute, little perfect little. And, and I'm telling you, church, it's not just that way. It was this heavy sort of thing with a lot of stress. Here's, and then it gets worse. It, it goes from bad to worse. Now you have at the table unsafe people. And some of you are going to have unsafe people uh, in your story at Christmas. 
You're thinking, you know, I want to go home for Christmas, but I know Uncle So-So were going to be there, or aunt so- or cousin, or that ex. And I'm not, I don't feel safe around them. So we're introduced here into the story of the birth of Jesus in and, and Matthew chapter 2, this man named Herod the Great. If you have anybody in your family who nicknames himself the Great, you know there's another issue around here. You got to deal with their ego. Herod the Great. And Herod the Great had in mind, he heard this kid was going to be king. Well, I don't want anybody else to be king. So he decided he's going to kill Every kid, even close to being, to make sure that, that he gets it. In fact, an angel uh, comes to Joseph and tells him that. Verse, eight, verse 13 of chapter 2 of Matthew. When they had gone, an angel of the Lord appeared to Joseph in a dream. Get up, he said. Take the child and his mother and escape to Egypt. Stay there until I tell you, for Herod is going to search for the child to kill him. You talk about unsafe. I promise you this. You probably have nobody in your household that's more unsafe than Herod. Can you imagine the pressure? So far, they got a scandal. Joseph is not the biological father. You got all these people talking about, they got this financial pressure, and now they got to pick up and leave again. Not just leave their house, not just leave their family, they got to leave their country and leave their culture and go to another country, an international country, Egypt, mind you, which is the very same place they left years ago because they were involved in slavery. People who don't like them, don't want to see them, don't want to be, they're going to go and live there? Can you imagine the weight of everything they're experiencing? No, there's something called the stress index where you can find out how much stress you're really experiencing in your life. It's this little scale that's put together by these two psychologists. And a man by the name of David Slagle took that scale and he went back and looked at Mary and Joseph in the Bible and said, if they had that index back then, what would have been their stress level because of all this that was going on in their family? And if you get to 300, they would say that you are set up for a major physical bad thing to happen to you. So let's kind of look here. This is what he found. Married, yes. 50 points, just getting married increases your stress level by 50 points. Some of you say that's all. Uh, uh, loss of job, yes, Joseph lost his job. Pregnancy, that's obvious. Uh, a major uh, financial challenge, yep, they're having that for sure. In-law trouble, you think they had any in-law trouble with all this going on, all this conversation. Uh, they had to move to Egypt. I mean, they had to move out of the country. Uh, they gained a new family member, that's obvious. Uh, if you have a major business adjustment, Pressure, yep, that is for sure. An outstanding achievement. Well, giving birth to the Son of God, what, what bigger achievement could there be than that? Uh, a major holiday, well, they invented Christmas, so that had to be stressful. And then, when the last one is, they're targeted for death by some egomanical despot, that they don't even have a scale on that. So, they found out 300 points, you're in trouble. They were at 450 points and counting. Away in a manger. All is calm. All is, I don't think so. Kind of like your family. I don't think so. Also, number four, there were different people who showed up in the story. Different people. Just like there's going to be different people show up at your house. Different personalities, different cultures, different backgrounds, different way of viewing things, different way of thinking. And in, and in the story right here in Matthew chapter 2, we have these different people show up. They're called the Magi. We don't know much about the Magi. 
For one thing, the scripture says they come from afar. They come from the east. The word magic is magic. That's where we get our English word magic. And what we know is they did not worship Israel like their, their God. They didn't look like people from that were Jewish. They didn't act like them. They didn't worship and live. In fact, they didn't even like these people. Here's, here's kind of a picture of what, you, what, what the Magi look like. In the early Christian church, when they're telling the story of Jesus in the early church, they created these paintings to tell the story of Jesus. This is before they ever had the scriptures. They had these stories and paintings. And in the church of the nativity, the oldest church in Bethlehem, they have a painting that looks very similar to this right here that shows the Magi. And we know the Magi are not Jewish because they wear clothes like this tunic here and leggings and the belt, and they did not do that. And then they wear these weird little caps right here like, like that, that they did not wear. Here's an example of one right there in their country. Now, sometimes you and I think that we live in a world, you know what, the world has never been so politically divided. There's never been so much hatred and so much meanness and people just not liking each other just because they're different. People get upset. Back in 614, Persia, modern-day Iran and Iraq, invades Palestine, Israel. And they're going to go in there and destroy all the churches because they just don't like how those people look. They're different. But then they get to this picture. Put this picture back up here. Can you put it up again, please? They get to the Magi. They come to this church and they see this photo and they see people who look like them. And they don't destroy that church. Amazing. Aren't you glad that Iran, Iraq, and Israel today live at peace? Aren't you glad that? See, you and I think this is some brand new, and somebody's going to show up, some candidate, some party, and you're going to have a peace tree that's going to go over there and saw church. People have not been liking each other for years just because they're different. And there are going to be people at your table that you look at and just say they're different. How do you deal with that? Here's number five, embarrassing people. There's going to be embarrassing people that show up at your table. It might be you. People might be embarrassed when you show up. In this case, it's the shepherds. We're not going to spend much time here. We covered it last weekend. The shepherds were the most lowest on the totem pole in occupations. Nobody wanted to hang around the shepherds. They're kind of, kind of unscrupulous. I can picture if they show up in the manger scene that Mary's going to look in at Joseph and say, Joseph, as long as those shepherds are here, watch the kid. They could take them. Watch the kid. Watch the kid. Watch the kid. You know, kind of embarrassing if they show up. Uh, here, here's the next one right here. Uh, number, number six is uh, untactful people, untactful people. There's going to be somebody show up at your table, and they're just going to blurt stuff out. They just say stuff. It comes out of their mouth. Everybody feels uncomfortable. Everybody feels awkward. You know, they just don't know when not to say stuff and everything like that. And this is true right here in the time of Jesus. Uh, Mary, she's this young little kid. Uh, she's 12, uh, 13, uh, 14. We don't exactly know trying to figure out being a mom. And we've heard in Luke chapter 2 this old man named Simeon. And he shows up and he says to Mary here in verse, uh, verse 34, Mary... This child of yours is destined to cause the falling and rising of many in Israel and to be a sign that will be spoken against so that the thoughts of many hearts will be revealed and a sword is going to pierce your soul too, Mary. Have a good day. Enjoy raising that kid. Good luck. Hope you make it. 
I mean, just untactful people who don't know the right time and the right way to, you're, and so how do you deal with those people? Here, here's the last group, and you're going to be surprised that this actually exists in Jesus' story, and that's crazy people. Uh, I know that's not politically correct. Uh, you fit in however you want to. Uh, but there's going to be some people show up at your, your family Christmas tree. You're going to say, man, they've lost their marbles. They are just crazy. What, what planet did they come? What, who are they? How they, get, how they come from our family, you know? And I want you to know that there was one person like that in Jesus' family. There was somebody like that. And you're going to kind of be shocked who it was. Over here in, uh, in Mark chapter 3, there's a story. This is when Jesus had kind of grown up a little bit. And it says here in Mark 3, when Jesus entered a house, and again, a crowd gathered. So much so that he and his disciples, they couldn't even eat. There were so many people. And when his family heard about it, they went to take charge of him. For they said, here it comes. Jesus is out of his mind. He's kind of lost it. He's lost his marbles, and his own family thought that about Jesus. They tried to take custody of him. And you kind of wonder, what's Jesus going to do? How's he going to handle this? In fact, everybody heard this. The crowd heard it. Can you imagine how embarrassing? And Because the crowd, they come to Jesus in verse 32 and say, hey, hey, your mom and brothers are outside. They're looking for you. And you would think Jesus would say, excuse me, the right, I, I got to go visit with my mom. My mom's looking for me. He doesn't say that. Notice what he says. Uh, who are my mother and my brothers? Then he looked at those seated in a circle around him and said, Here are my mother and my brothers. Whoever does God's will is my brother and sister and mother. Can you imagine, Mary? <gasps> my own kid? Can you imagine? what Any mother ever felt that somehow from, from your own kid? Can you, can you imagine? I mean, Jesus here is redefining family. You talk about family values. You want to talk about family values? He's saying, this is my real family, the greater family. And he's turning it upside down. Church, here's all I'm trying to say. Sometimes you and I look at the manger scene and you just think, well, you know, if Jesus would come to my house and he saw my family members and he saw how difficult they were, he wouldn't expect me to love them the way he says everybody. And I want you to see that Jesus had some most difficult, challenging people to love all around him all the time. Don't tell me you won't love them. Don't tell me you can't love them. Just tell me you won't because Jesus. So there's three gifts that come out of this love. Three gifts that come out of the nature of who Jesus is. And uh, I want to give them to you. They all kind of stem out of one, two of them stem out of one verse over in the Gospel of John chapter 1. Uh, there's no really birth Christmas story in John chapter 1, but we kind of get a heavenly view of Jesus' arrival onto the scene. And here's how, that's what he says, uh, chapter 1, verse 14. The Word became flesh, that is Jesus, and made his dwelling among us. And we have seen his glory, the glory of the one and only Son, who came from the Father full of grace and truth. Two of the gifts I want to ask you to give your family members, the difficult people at Christmas, are right here. And the first one is grace. To give your family members grace. The scripture says Jesus is full of grace. That's just who he was. Over in John chapter 8, there's this woman caught in adultery. She's brought to him. The religious leaders want to stone her. They want to condemn her. And Jesus 
looks at the people with the rocks. And he says, you who have no sin, throw them. And they dropped them and they walked away. Then he turned to the woman and he said, where are those who condemn you? Neither do I condemn you. Now go and sin no more. John 3, 17. For God sent his son into the world. Not to what? Not to what? Condemn. But to save. And when you give someone grace, you're saying, I don't condemn you. I don't judge you. And please hear this. Nobody gets so old. Nobody gets so successful. Nobody gets so much to the top that they outgrow their need for grace. Nobody. One of my very good friends lost his mother this past year. And uh, I will tell you something about this friend. This friend of mine, more successful than me financially, um, more successful in, in peer respect. Um, more, he, he was more athletic than me, uh, more smarter than me, made better grades than me, everything, everything better. Everybody likes him. I mean, everybody likes him. I mean, he's at the top of the top. And so I asked him, I said, listen, tell me, what do you miss most about your mother? Here's what he said. I miss those moments where I just knew that she accepted me. She just always cheered for me. She was always in my corner. My dad sometimes was a little demanding. My dad sometimes just kind of, you know, just kind of expected me to reach a certain mark before he would. But my mom, she just, and I will tell you, you never get too old and you never get so high on the totem pole that you don't need a full measure of grace. And you go, well, you know, but they don't deserve it. See, that's the beauty of grace. Nobody deserves it. You know, sometimes I think, I look at myself, you know what, I think, I think they should give me a little grace. I think I deserve it. And then I think, oh, I know you don't, Rick. I know who I am. But here's what I know. I don't know about you. See, I think I know you, but I don't know you. And you really don't know me. I don't know where you came from. I don't know your story. I don't know your wounds. I don't know your hurts. I don't know your family upbringing. I don't know what you experienced as a child. I don't know. And that all impacts who you are. And I don't know your genetic makeup. I don't know your genes. Here's what we're learning about the human beings. There are some people in this world, because of the genes, the genetic wiring, you were born to be grateful. You were just born grateful. And some people are born complainers. Some people are just born with a kind of a burr in their saddle. They just kind of had this edgy sort of thing about the world. And you want to judge them. But there's this gene called CD38. It's an interesting thing. Gene CD38. And there's a mutation of that gene that if you get it, you're just born grateful. I mean, you just see the world like this all the time. And, and, you, go, and you go, I don't understand it. I don't, I don't know why I'm all this way. I'm just always grateful. I, I see the positive. And I will tell you why. You're a mutant. And so now you can go home and go, you can go, oh, God, I just thank you. I was born a mutant. Yeah, I was born a mutant. There's something about me that's different. I was born this way. And then there are some of you who are gripping and complaining because, well, I didn't get that gene. How come I didn't get that gene? You know, and everything like that, blah, 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 blah. And you want to judge them. First, I'm just, I'm just telling you that everybody in this room who can hear my voice right now and your family, you have wounds and you have patterns in your life that is so deeply embedded in people. And you don't understand it. And sometimes just to love them, you just, you just, you just got to give them a little grace. And the second gift is truth. 
You give them grace, you give them grace to show you love them, but you also got to give them truth, and, and grace comes first, and then truth comes right after, and truth can be difficult. Truth can be very hard to say. I mean, sometimes you just, I mean, truth, right? What does it mean to say truth, and when does it mean to point something out that's just real that's going on in somebody's life? And that's kind of a hard thing to judge. It's kind of a hard thing to measure. You know, Dallas and I were in this long line uh, several years ago on a Black Friday. I was getting ready to go into a store. We had to wait for the stores. We were there early for the stores. Got all these blockbuster deals that everybody just had to have. And you remember the frenetic pace when it was really crazy like that, okay? So we're in this long line, and this, the owner of the store, somebody came and got these two older ladies at the back of the line and brought them all. It took forever to get up to the front of the line. And nobody liked it because we all got there at the same time. How come they're going up to the front? And the guys behind us really were upset. Oh, yeah, I guess the rules don't apply to them. I guess when we get as old as them, you know, when, when we, we're drooling at our mouth and we got to walk with canes and our brains are down around our ankles, I guess then we'll get the good treatment. And everybody just wanted to deck the people, you know. They just needed some truth. But nobody knew what to say. I'm going, what am I going to say? Well, my wife didn't say anything. She just turned around and went. <laughs> Sometimes truth is a divine raspberry. <laughs> because you don't know what to say, right? But something had to happen. I mean, something, you just couldn't let it go by. Some sort of truth had to be, it was just, it was just inappropriate. And I know sometimes in my mind, in my imagination, I know exactly what I'm going to say. You know what I'm talking about? That difficult conversation with somebody, you know exactly what you're going to say. Then you get face to face. And you, know what, you know what I'm talking about? Unless you're angry, you just unload the whole dump truck. You just, and that just destroys everything. In Ephesians chapter 4, the Apostle Paul says, when you have this kind of community, this little family where Jesus is in the home, you learn how to speak the truth in love. Ephesians 4. So that everyone can grow up and be mature. That's the purpose of speaking the truth. And I'm going to promise you this. There's going to be somebody show up at your Christmas, at your tree, that makes everybody else feel uncomfortable. They cuss tell inappropriate jokes, they drink too much, they did something, said something, and somebody has got to have the courage to pull them aside and give them grace and speak the truth in love for the benefit of the rest of the family. Third gift, final gift, is time. Time. I give them grace to show them I love them. I speak truth Hopefully, so they can look in the mirror, see reality, and make some decisions to change. And then I give them time. Have you noticed that people don't change overnight? Have you noticed that? Have you noticed that people just don't change overnight? I mean, sometimes you and I just think, you know, well, I, if I just tell them what's wrong, I, that's my job. I just got to give them truth and tell them they're going to change. Have you noticed that people don't respond to that too well? When you show up and say, I know what you need to do. How's that work for you? Well, I told them. I spoke truth. I gave them one word. I gave them one sentence. Now go change. And they don't, and we just give up on them. We just quit. It's kind of like when Dallas was gone one night, and I was home by myself, and I had to fix dinner for myself. And I look in the freezer, and I find this big old, this big old Tupperware thing, kind of a pot of a, a frozen rock-solid chicken and dumplings. And they were great chicken and dumplings. Oh, I don't know what I'm going to do. So I got put in the microwave 15, 20 seconds, 
And Stu and I took it out. They were hard as a rock. And I thought, I'm hungry. I don't want to wait. It's going to take 30 minutes to thaw this stuff out. So I just put it on the disposal and tore it all up and stood done with it and just went hungry. Anybody get so impatient that you try to microwave people? I don't mean literally. But you know what I'm talking about. You just think, yeah, I got to give more. I got to speak truth. And all of a sudden, I just tell them this. Then they're going to change overnight. Really. Really. There's a story in Luke chapter 13 where Jesus tells this story about this man has this plants this fig tree and the fig tree doesn't bear fruit. And the owner comes up and he shows up and says, cut that tree down. And the gardener says, no, 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 please don't cut the tree down. Don't cut it down. Just let me dig around. Let me fertilize it. Let me give it another season. I still believe in this tree. And the gardener is God. It is your Savior, Jesus. And he's still working on you. He's not quitting on you, and he's not quitting on them. And sometimes he just asks you to give him some space and give him some time. First, give him grace. That lets him know you love him. Then you give him truth. Grace without truth is enabling, but truth without grace destroys people. And then you give him time. In church, this is not an easy thing to do. The question is, are you going to do it? And right now you're thinking, yeah, I'll do it. Yeah, I'm going to do this. You know, it's easy to say that here. And then you get in the moment. And you go back to your old ways, and it's just dysfunctional hell again. Can we be honest? The only thing you can bring to the table is you. You can't fix them. Stop trying. Stop trying all you can do is bring your best heart and you can't love people that way unless you know that there's somebody who loves you that way and you're never going to run out of it and it starts with your own heart just receiving that love just a couple of Fridays ago I'm out by the pool and I got my Bible, and I'm working on the message. Since Papa Friday and Lennox is out there with me, she's sitting out there by the pool. And I look over, she got my phone, and I look over there at her, and she got this little video she's looking at. And I just look at her, and I'm just so inspired at her. I just love this little girl so much. I just love her so much. I just turn, and I got, hey, Lennox, I got to ask you, girl, tell me, who loves you more? Put that picture back up. I want to see. Oh, it's back here. Okay. Uh, who loves you more than anybody in the world? Who loves you? Who loves you? Who loves you? And you know what the right answer is, don't you? Papa. So I say, who loves you more than anybody in the world? She just looked at me and went, Jesus. How do you get jealous of Jesus? I thought, darn girl, you're right. But let me ask you, do you know that? Do you really know that there's nobody who loves you in the world like Jesus? And he'll never stop. He was born in a manger. Difficult people his whole life. Disappointed people. Embarrassing people. Unsafe people. He gave him three gifts all the time. Grace. 
truth. In time. We're told in Isaiah chapter 49, there was a time where the people of Israel didn't know they were loved. And they were just complaining, upset with God. And the scripture says that, he says, I've engraved your name in the palm of my hand. At the perfect time, after you've given all this grace, truth, and love, they, they took him and they put him on the cross. And they drove spikes through his hand. And your name got engraved. It got tattooed on the hands of Jesus. So you would always know. He'll never stop loving you. And you can't give it unless you receive it. Just be a conduit. Just be a conduit. Just be a conduit of what God has done for you. Just, so I'm going to invite you to get still right there and just kind of get you get into a place of prayer and just kind of, I want you to think about those family members, those difficult people that are going to show up at your family Christmas time. See them in the face. Maybe it's someone who's just really challenging. They talk too much. They drink too much. They always think they got to be funny the whole time. You know what I'm talking about. Get a picture of them. Or maybe, maybe it's deeper than that. Maybe it's somebody who's brought so much pain to the family. They've wounded so much. And it's even raw in you. You, you still feel hurt and wounded because of something said or something done. And you just... And you don't know what to say. You don't know what to do. And I'm telling you here, you don't have to figure that out right now. Don't try to figure it out. Wherever you are, online, bridge, in the house, don't try to figure it out. Just... I'm asking you just to make your heart available right now, your heart, to receive the love that God has for you through a crucified and resurrected Jesus. Your name is on the palm of his hand. He loves you that much. Let your heart let go of the bitterness, the anger, the unforgiveness. Just let your heart be filled with God's love for you. All right, God, it's almost time. We're about the weeks, the days. It's almost here, Christmas. And we realize our peace doesn't come from the outside. Our peace comes from within because you are our peace and you are our joy and you are our hope. Come inside each of us, God. Live in us. Make your home in us. And I pray, God, your love, your grace, and your truth and just this gift of time will just flow through us into our difficult people and our family. And may all these families experience the miracle of Jesus all over again in their homes. In his name I pray. Amen. Thank you for joining us. If you would like more information on Pathway or to get connected to a ministry, visit our website at pathway.church. We look forward to growing with you as we worship together. God loves you. God is with you.